Welcome to The Relationship Type. I'm Alex. And I'm Patty. Look, relationships are everywhere. And they can be, well, complicated. So let's gab about it. Welcome back, friends, to another episode. Today we've got a good one for you. We're joined by essayist, playwright, filmmaker, and overall superb writer, Sarah Lee. You've likely caught some of her profound work in publications like Elle, The Cut, Girl, The List Truly Goes On, but also Cosmo, which is where I was first introduced to Sarah's brilliant mind. She also runs her own substack called Gut Feelings, so be sure to subscribe. And that's where she shares personal essays, cultural critiques, and covers all things at the intersection of identity, politics, sexuality, pop culture, and art. Oh, and um, I should mention that she also goes to Harvard, which is a pretty fucking big deal, and we'll get to that later. Um, So we're so excited to talk to her today and dive deep into topics like self-care, love, and what it means to move away from the capitalist ideas of each. Welcome, Sarah. Welcome. Hi. I'm so excited to be here. So I got so shy when you were introducing me. I was like, oh. (laughs) (laughs) Can I just say, like, I... I have I've followed your work for a while, but pulling this intro together, I was like, I hope she knows how fucking impressive she is. Like, I'm sitting here like shit. <laughs> I gotta start doing stuff. <laughs> Literally, me and Patty were both reading your work and like fangirling today. We were like sending each other screenshots of like our favorite like quotes and stuff. <laughs> Amazing. So sweet. No, the thing is, I write something, I publish it, and it's immediately out of my mind. So sometimes when people quote my own work back to me, I'm like. I don't know that person. <laughs> I'm, I'm really honored that you guys read my work, and I'm I'm really glad it resonates. That's what every writer wants to hear. No, oh my god, absolutely. It's been honestly such a joy, and I feel like okay, so you're reporting in from Cambridge right now, but you're usually from California, which is like great because Alex is from California. I obviously live in Boston, <laughs> which is like, you know, I'm wondering like how you're doing with the season change. Well. First of all, um, my feelings on Boston, I can't say on air, but. (laughs) Valid, valid. But I am enjoying the seasonal change of my life as a whole. I love Los Angeles. I love the people there. I love the work that I do here. But I'm also someone who I think really thrives on change. And when I saw an opportunity to go to Harvard to get my master's, um, I was really excited for what that would entail and all the changes they would bring. I love that. I love that. As someone who also did the California, Southern California to Boston pipeline. Now I'm in Maine, but it is a lot different, but it's, it's enjoy. Like, it's like fun to experience the seasons and the fall and everything. I didn't know fall was the way that it was (laughs) until I moved here. I've missed fall so much. I'm kind of enjoying like this, like very Gilmore Girls-esque season right now that I'm sure will last three days before it's just freezing again. But until then, living in like my little cloud nine exactly soak it in now (laughs) (laughs) yes I love it so each week on this podcast we like to kick things off by sharing what relationship has been central to our week this week so Patty you're in the hot seat what relationship has been central to your week okay so last week I said love so I I really want to say love again but I can't so I'm gonna say I'm gonna say my relationship with ooh some family drama 
my relationship with family, extended family, not chosen family, which I'm getting, if they listen to this, they're going to be like, oh my God. So I have um, my sister's wedding coming up in December. And I, as I talk about a lot, my sister is like my best friend, my other half. So I'm entering (laughs) this marriage with her (laughs) basically, but we've been in like the thick of planning. It's in the end of December. And um, she always knew she wanted to have uh, a childless wedding. Um, And coming from a big Italian family, that has posed some issues for people. And I received uh, a phone call, (laughs) like recently, I want to say like a little over a week ago, from a cousin yelling at me about this, uh, you know, no kids policy, which wasn't ideal. Although I was glad she called me and not my sister directly because I just think, you know, she's in, she's already pretty stressed out. And so I think it would have just pushed her frankly, like over the edge, but, um, it has kind of caused this massive family rift with like, it's my mom's side of the family. And, uh, yeah, I'd say they, they really like to stick to traditions and so they were caught off guard, but they've also turned it into this um, upsetting situation where they're sort of like calling multiple family members and trying to get multiple people to like side with them. And it's just very unfortunate. So I was really mad at first, but I, I'm glad that like I handled the situation honestly, it was the most mature I've ever been in my life. Typically I have like the shortest views, but I was like, you know what? Like this is a situation. I'm sorry, but like we could talk about this later. I can't really talk right now. I'm at work, blah, blah, blah. And kind of like got quickly off the phone. Um, but I've been so mad and I've been trying to sort of like balance this feeling of, do we just let it go? Do we just, it is what it is. You know, we know that they're kind of calling everyone and sort of like gossiping or whatever, you know, do we engage and it's, or do we not? And just sort of like keep going about our lives. Do we let it go? Or do we like try to reprimand bad behavior? And it's kind of like, I don't have energy to, (laughs) I don't really have energy to do anything, but just move on. And, you know, it's like you make a mental note and it's disappointing. Um, but I don't really feel like sort of getting, I don't know, like jumping into the fire with them and like getting into a fight, but it's kind of just like dominated my mind recently. And, I don't know. It's like weddings bring out the weird, the weird stuff in families. So definitely, that's uh, yeah, that's my situation. But <laughs> Alex, what, <laughs> I'm just gonna turn it right around now. Um, Alex, okay. So, what relationship has been central to your week this week? Yeah, I think my relationship this week. It's I don't know. It's like constantly a sort of relationship with myself, I guess. Like in our last episode, we sort of talked about like grief and, and just how I'm hard on myself often, and I'm not forgiving to myself, and I don't allow myself like I don't know, like time to whatever heal, rest, whatever it is. Um, so I'm really trying to be more aware of that. I think like. I don't know. Like today I was like, you know, I don't, I don't know what I need, but like, it's not, I like nothing I'm doing is making me feel good. So I went on a walk and it did help a little bit. And I was trying to be really in the moment and like, look at the leaves and like feel the air and all of that. Um, I don't know. It's a hard process, but I feel like I'm still trying to work on it and figure out what I need, especially as the seasons change and it's getting hard. Yeah, definitely. Oh gosh. Honestly, like you're still in the, the, the thick of the grieving process. So I'm just going to keep saying 
be gentle, rest. And luckily for you, I feel like the self-care episode is going to be, you got to take notes because. Oh yeah. I have my notepad ready. Yes. Honestly, same. Oh my God, yes. That's so perfect. No, definitely. I think you need to, you need to, the answer is always, you need to be more gentle with yourself. Like totally. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. Sarah, I will pass it to you. What relationship has been central to your week this week? Man, I really did not know what I was going to say until just now. I was bouncing between two different ideas. Okay. Um, I'm like, will he listen to this? No, he's not going to listen to this. <laughs> it's a safe space. <laughs> um, I mean, it's also not that dramatic. I don't have that many like dramatic stories, unfortunately. But uh, I just ended things with someone very, very casually um, today, actually, before hopping on here. And again, nothing dramatic. It was just like, I, I have a dating role for myself, which is that I'm now too much of an adult to get myself in a situation where I know I'm going to regret it. And that was something I didn't really understand, especially in my early 20s of like, in hindsight, every single, you know, weird, bad situation I went into, I knew it's going to be bad because you have that voice of like, oh, here are the red flags, here are the red flags. And now as like a slightly older, hopefully more mature person, I'm like, I can't do that anymore. If I see red flags, I have to listen to them. I, I don't have the the bandwidth to really go into something that I know would hurt me. Um, so I'm like, wow, this is what, this is what making good life decision feels like. (laughs) So yeah, for me, that relationship has just really been listening to your intuition and turning away from the things, you know, will not be good for you in the long run. Wow. I'm already busting out my pen for that because (laughs) Oh my God. No, it's so you have true. To read, you have to read Cheryl Strayed's Tiny Beautiful Things because there's a line in there, and I'm paraphrasing, where she says part of being an adult is not making stupid decisions that you know are stupid decisions. And that kind of radically changed my view on a lot of things, but especially in relationships. I love that. And I love that sort of conscious decision. And I'm curious because like we're all in that sort of late 20s time now. And I've noticed like the way that I've sort of developed my thinking over the past few years, like that uh, frontal cortex really or cortex, developed. Yeah, it's called. It really developed. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like it was strong. Uh, and I'm curious, like in your early 20s, as you mentioned, like when you were dating, did you feel like you were always able to tell, like, now you're making the decision not to go into something that you know isn't a, isn't a good decision, but do you feel like you were always able to tell those things, or do you feel like that also came with uh, kind of getting older? Yeah, I mean, I think in, in my early 20s, and a lot of my relationships, and, I, and I'll preface that, I'm actually on really good terms with uh, everyone I've ever dated. Um, I've, I've kind of been doing like the kumbaya, like, let's leave with love, exit with grace, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, mentality but I went into I think all of my relationships wanting it to work out so badly I think as most of us do and not really looking at the facts of the situation of like why it wouldn't and I think sometimes the most loving thing you can do is just not hurt the other person when you realize that you have that capacity to hurt each other that's really powerful and even um to sort of like in thinking about that quote not entering something you know is going to hurt yourself too in the long run because I think it's easy to sort of get swept away in that like whether it's enticing or you know 
it, it seems exciting or whatever the situation may be. It's really easy. And I think I used to do the same in my younger 20s is like, oh, I know this is going to be awful for me, but I'm just going to do it. Like Olivia Rodrigo, fuck it. It's fine. But it's <laughs> like that whole song. It's <laughs> like not doing that. Like it is. Fu- no, don't fuck it. It is not fine. Like that's right. Yeah. And the other side of that is I also don't want to hurt the other person. Right. I want to be a version of myself that is my most loving and caring and best self. And if, and I genuinely feel like if I can't give that to someone, it would be irresponsible of me to, you know, hold their emotions. Um, so that's something I'm just conscious of and just trying to be a little bit more intentional in all of my relationships. Definitely. I love that. I feel like that's so important too. Cause like I, I haven't, I'm, I'm married, so I haven't dated in some time, but I feel like early when I was dating a lot before and like, I was very selfish in it. Like I wasn't thinking about other people. And I, I do wonder if dating now, like if you're just dating well, or if like other people that are also our age are also like sort of thinking about other people more than <laughs> I feel like well, early. I might be an outlier, but I really, really like dating. I love kind of just going on first dates, meeting new people, um, and just getting to know them. It's, and I never go on dates with intention of like, oh, I need to find a life partner. Like for me, it's just like a matter of like, I think people are just so fascinating and so interesting and I welcome any and an all opportunity to just know more about them. And I think generally speaking, people are a little bit more guards down on a day that they are in just like passing. So it's nice to kind of get that intimate look at someone. That's a great way to think about it. And I I think that's actually helpful for like where I'm at in my own life and um, thinking about, unfortunately, I carry such, I'm trying to figure out how to compartmentalize my expectations and like understanding that, um, you know, like building intimacy with someone is a slow it's a long game it's a slow process and you you should enjoy the process you shouldn't try to jump to like the destination immediately but for some reason sometimes I can't turn that like nagging little bug off in my mind that's like this is a waste of time you will never see yourself with this person like it is about just kind of sitting with someone and enjoying the conversation and just being present and I need to Remember that. It's really hard. And okay, so you enjoy dating. And I didn't like expect to ask you this like at all or even like at the top of this but episode, but do you do you find online dating to be included in that or do you No, I mean I I have tried like Hinge and I'm I think I'm still on Raya, they haven't kicked me off by now. My So my issue, I think, with apps is that, A, I think they work for a lot of people. But for me, I find it really hard to boil a person down to just what they present in an application. And it's also like, I don't want to get to know them based on the answers or the pictures that they provide. It makes me feel like I'm studying for a test or I'm online shopping. And uh, I maybe this is like the writer romantic side in me, but like, I want to be surprised by what I know about a person and not go into it with any like preconceived notion of who they may be. I also think how we present ourselves online is not always authentic to ourselves. So I love here, like for me, I think when I think about what I enjoy in dating, I love hearing someone's voice for the first time. I love hearing um, what they love. Um, and, you know, just all these things that I think it's hard to articulate on an app. And so, and I also just really appreciate that element of surprise. Whereas 
when I realize I've gone on apps, I think about, you know, people are going on apps with a very specific intent of meeting romantic interests, whether that's a long-term partner, whether that's a hookup, whatever, but there is that intention. Whereas I think if you meet someone organically and natural, you don't know uh, until you know it. And so I really like being hooked by that element of surprise. I don't know if that made any sense, but that's kind it, of- it totally does. And it's making me think so much about, um, how it's very easy to miss that. That is a, a beautiful thing to sort of witness and experience. And I, Ooh, now the wheels are turning. <laughs> I know. I, I knew I was going to go on the, a podcast called the relationship type. And suddenly I'm like, Oh, I didn't think you're going to talk about dating. <laughs> so that maybe that's on me. <laughs> no, no, no. We can't help it. We, we cannot stop talking about dating. Even Alex who's married, like uh, loves. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Love talking about dating. <laughs> No, because it's so true because like, and I want to pivot more into your background about uh, in in media and everything. But before we get to that, I want to say how like as media people, I feel like we're all really trained to like know what sort of like persona we want to put online. Mm -hmm. And so like we kind of curate like at least when I was on my dating profile too, I was curating it to be this sort of like version, public version of myself, Right, you could say. But people who aren't online like don't necessarily do that or like, I don't know. So in not saying that that's a good thing either, like I don't necessarily want to be this curated version of myself so it is really interesting the way you put that right and I think that honestly the number one way that I've been meeting people is just like at bars is talking to them and I will so rarely even give my last name so that they can't google me or see anything about me I'm kind of like I really like just the element of like we have to get to know each other by getting to know each other yes yeah I love that absolutely yeah I think it's like people like to exchange social media profiles immediately and I do not do that like I try not to do that until I actually know someone because it's it's just a very uh odd experience again being like a media person not I'm not really anymore but like I mean being in social media I guess but like it's I find that I almost have to do this sort of like not even explaining but just like distancing myself from like the way that I present online and it's not to say that I am you know cosplaying as a totally different person online it's just that it's it's very much like tied to the work that I do not who I am what I do and I don't want those things to always mesh especially immediately when I'm getting to know someone I want them to sort of I want to hear about values and I want to hear about what they love and not so much like so what do you do for work? Like, how do you make money? Like, no, please. The most, no. Yeah, the most boring question. So awful. And for me, I've also, like, my ideal deal partner is that they would just not be online. Yes. Um, I think that's so rare, and I'm kind of still looking out for that. But, yeah, I want to be able to ask someone, like, how was your day and not know their answer because I had already seen it on social media. Great barometer. Yeah. Well, we wanted to ask you about, because you're a writer, and I feel like I've never asked this question of someone before, and I'm really curious um, why did you become a writer? Because I could not shut the fuck up, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That is the perfect answer. <laughs> I honestly think that's what it was. I mean, as a kid, <laughs> as a kid, I I was just all I had so much to say about everything. And you know, like as a kid, you're a very observant. You're like, why is the sky blue? Oh, grandma did something that was annoying. Oh my god, let me spill my mom's secrets. Like I was just constantly 
chatty and I, and I love pointing things out. And then I think someone at one point just told me, can you write this down? <laughs> um, and the other side of that is that I loved, loved reading and I would read anything that I could get my hands on. I would read like car manuals. Like I was just, I was just absolutely fascinated with what the written language can, can bring, which is a very pretentious way of saying it. But I, I, I don't ever remember a time in my life when I wasn't a writer. And I think the most liberating thing is that I haven't really limited myself to just one form of writing. You know, I obviously do my cultural essays for publications, but I'll also write poetry for myself. I'll write plays. And so for me, it's been a constant exploration of like, I'm never going to run out of things to write about and I'm never going to run out of ways to write, which is a really joyous thing in my life. Definitely. I love that. I feel like I'm a writer too. And I feel like I want to hone into what made me love writing as a kid, which is what you said. Like, I just wanted to talk, like I had a lot of things to say and just wanted to keep going with it. Um, But now I feel like I like judge myself too hard sometimes when I'm writing that I don't have that same joy of it as I always did. Yeah. If that makes sense. But yeah, it's, it's hard to feel like when, yeah, the separation of writing for an audience versus writing for yourself. And so not to plug my business, but um, I recently just launched a literary salon for creative writers for that same reason of people can write for their communities. People can write for maybe a broader audience if you're pitching out to magazines, but it's also okay to just write for yourself. And for me, there's been a lot of freedom in letting go of the expectations that everything I write will be like viral or will make money or will be seen by the masses. Like sometimes I'll write and I'll share it with one person and they'll really like it. And I'm like, that's why I wrote it. And sometimes that person is myself. Yeah, I love that. That's so beautiful. I think this is especially important for so many of the folks in our circle who hopefully some of them listening to this, I know that like a big topic is battling imposter syndrome. And so what you're saying really resonates and like, wow, it's, it really needs to be sort of this like self, I don't know, like self connecting act or self-love act like you're not not trying to constantly create for others but just simply for yourself and it's so amazing that you sort of dabble in all of these different um like forms of writing and um I think it's amazing and this please plug please plug your your literary salon because that is amazing and we'll Drop that in the show notes for folks too. So they're interested. If they're interested, they can check it out. Well, here's the thing I also realize from I I don't have imposter syndrome, which um, I find probably. <laughs> Listen, and it's honestly, and I and I wish I knew why or how this came to be. But I, I think the consistent thing I tell myself is so many people are gonna tell you no. I'm not gonna be one of those voices. Like if you're looking for rejection, like step outside, right? Like I have been rejected by so, like so many editors, so many publications, so, like the list goes on and on. And I, and the thing that I keep coming back to is so what? So I'm not, I'm never gonna tell myself, no, you can't do this. Like there are so many mean voices. I'm not gonna be one of them. And also, you know, there's Donald Trump was president. So and specifically in America, I'm like, imposter syndrome, it's not real. (laughs) There are people being handed unfair advantages all the time. Fuck it. Can I cuss on this? Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, please. Like, like, I'm going to do what I like. And until 
someone tells me no. And also, even though sometimes people tell me no, I just I just go around them. Like if one door closes, you go to the other one. Um, so for me, I just, it, it's easy to say, don't let imposter syndrome, you know, get you down. But for me, I just, I make it conscious of never having a relationship with imposter syndrome. That is amazing. Definitely. Oh my God. I'm ready to break up with imposter syndrome, kick them to the freaking curb. <laughs> that is amazing. That is so, <laughs> yes. holy shit. I'm, I mean, my brain is exploding. So Alex, please. <laughs> like. <laughs> I know. I feel like we need you on again to talk about like 20 more yes. topics. Yes. honored. Yes. Please. <laughs> but something we wanted to bring you on yes. so bad onto this podcast is because Patty loves, Patty showed me this piece by you. Um, and I love it now too, but it's from your Substack, and it's called self-care is making us feel bad. And in it, you talk about how the Western world has this sort of loneliness a- epidemic. And you brought up this idea of how our culture tunes out stressors rather than confronting it head on. Um, and something you mentioned in the article too, is it's cutting out toxic people rather than like opening up a conversation with them, which I found to be, I was like, oh my God, like light bulb went up when you said that. Um, and I was sort of thinking in my own life, how I sort of like will block things out rather than confront it. And I was thinking like, I've always sort of had intrusive thoughts since I was little, like always like, like intrusive thoughts have bothered me. I remember being in elementary school and even getting them. Um, and my mom, even though like, this is what, like, it's, it's not that she was wrong necessarily. It's just that this was what she taught me. She was like, if you get an intrusive thought, just in your mind, say, cancel, cancel, like, exit out um but like in when therapists talk about like OCD and intrusive thoughts they say you really want to and obviously this takes years of therapy but they say you really want to like think through those those thoughts and not let it become this thing that you're like no I can't think about it um or even something like death the most most natural thing we all experience is so taboo um so my question for you and this is obviously loaded but why did we get here like why are we why is society like this or our culture like this so the super short answer, capitalism. <laughs> but you know what? Let me let me expand on that since that's what I'm here for. Um, broadly speaking, capitalism's goal is to isolate each and every one of us so that we are not embodied selves. We are severed limbs and we are not whole so that we can go to work, come back like we're machines, right? You can dismember machines. You can take out the parts you don't like, and you can send them off to work, make money, come back, and they require no care. The bright side of that is that human beings are not machines. And the downside of that is that we live in a, in a culture that is not particularly careful. And so I think the question of how we got here, it's really looking at our, our systems and asking ourselves, you know, if burnout could be treated by sleep, and sleep alone, we wouldn't have burnout, right? Everyone would take their weekends to just lay down and blob, but people are so experiencing burnout and they're experiencing loneliness. And what I really appreciate about in my research into the loneliness epidemic is that the U.S. former uh, general surgeon really, really did like a, a huge study on the fact that like loneliness is a leading cause of declining health in America. And there's so many reasons why that is. It's the fact that we are not authentically connecting with each other. So we feel lonely even when we're surrounded by people. And of course, capitalism wants to tell us that, oh, self-care is you buy a face mask from Target or you take yourself out to events. Like all these things are so rooted in feeling good and spending money that we have not been able to really separate the idea of self-care. And I and I almost kind of hate the word self-care now just because of what it's been 
you know, looped into. But self-care as a radical form of community and of change is that is what is important to me. And I I and I just think we are misleading people when we tell them that self-care, if we just focus on the self part of that, self-care is something that we have to do alone. And self-care is something that affects only us when we know that's not true. And that has not been true for most of history. But because of Western imperialism, because of capitalism, because of the way that our culture is set now, we want to we we tell folks that they have to be independent, so they need to be in isolation and to not need anyone. And yeah, if you if you get in a disagreement with, with someone, you cut them off and you move forward and we treat ourselves like we're cars and we can just take ourselves into the mechanic to be fixed. But it's not as simple as that. No, absolutely. And I was I was gonna say like particularly in the piece when you wrote about how um, self-care as we know it today is really just temporary solutions rooted in escapism. That stuck with me so much and it it really can feel like a scam. Like I myself hate hearing the term self-care and even using it just feels, it, it feels so like vapid. There's no, no substance to that anymore as we know it because it's been so this idea of turning inward, it's really like turn to Bezos and like, you know, get what you need and then you'll be fine. And what I loved about your piece is you said, instead we should turn outward and we should try to engage with our community to find sort of like that emotional bomb that we're seeking. Could you tell us a little bit more about that as like how you see that as a more sustainable solution than like this temporary, like I'm going to get this face mask or um, Jesus, for me, it's like, I'm going to get my Starbucks, which <laughs> they don't pay us to say this. So I should stop name dropping people. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I'll preface by saying I used to be the most emotionally repressed person on earth, despite being a writer. Uh, I'm a Virgo that contextualizes anything, but I used to be, I used to be someone who just had a lot of pride in being like, well, I'm not going to let my feelings affect the way I work and I'm going to bottle them down and I'm going to be fine and la 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 la. And then I had a health crisis. I think it was end of 2020. And there was also like a fam, there was a lot going on. And so I was like, I'm going to go to Europe for four months by myself to prove that I can, I'm still, you know, capable of just doing everything by myself and I don't need anyone. I'm going to eat, pray, love my way through Europe. And I was fucking miserable. I have never been so cut off from the people I love. I just remember waking up every day and being like, I can't get coffee with my friend. I can't even FaceTime someone that I love because of the time difference. And I think it was just that stark, stark separation from my community who I didn't even realize how much they meant to me until all of a sudden there was that lack of access that I really had to shift my gears on what does it mean to be strong and what does it mean to be weak? Um, human beings by nature, by the, the fact that we're mammals are pack animals. Like we need each other to survive. And I think one of the biggest myths that we've been telling ourselves is that we don't need other people in order to survive. And, and also for me, I, I think I'm no longer interested in just surviving. So for me, I had to be like, what does it mean to cultivate a life of actual joy and belonging that will make me want to be alive? And for me, the answer is people. And I am so, so lucky that I have amazing relationships in my life, people who are, and you used this word earlier, chosen family. Um, and I can tell you that if I'm having a bad day, 
the choice between lying in bed and like blobbing and uh, just putting on a face mask, like, yes, that may feel good, but what's actually healing is calling my friend and talking it through with them and then laughing about it. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm less interested in these ideas of feeling good and what does it actually mean to heal? And for me, that I think that has to be with other people. I think we absolutely need each other to survive. And a thing that I think I'm saying out loud a lot to a lot of people these days is that if we all care for each other, then no one is uncared for. Wow. I love that. And I feel like, so in my sort of, because I've just been going through this heavy, heavy grief period and, and figuring out whatever, everything and how to get through it and all of that. Um, and I'm currently living in Maine where my whole community is in California. Most of my community is in California. And I think it's so wild because I think about like there's this person I know from college and I remember she was she's also from I'm from San Diego she's also from San Diego and she had said something sort of like I can't believe people never leave like San Diego like I can't believe people never leave their hometown ever in their life and I thought that was interesting because I'm like while my perspective has changed from living so far from people I don't think I'm like better for it like I I want like we're trying to move back to California in the spring like I don't know and I just find that really interesting what you said because I do think a lot of that like you're right a lot of that at least what helps me is being around people and I haven't realized how hard it was until I've been away from the people it's so incredibly isolating I yeah I mean I moved to Cambridge and I didn't know a single person here and I and I and I had like a few difficult weeks I was like I don't have anyone in this town that I can trust. You know, like, what if something happens to me? Like, what if I'm having a, like, who do I talk to? And I, and I love my friends uh, back home, LA. But I'm like, I can't call them for every single thing. And for me, it's been a real um, exercise in, in trust with people who I don't know and haven't known for long periods of time. And it's been a continuous challenge to keep myself open and to be vulnerable and to be honest with the people who are immediately around me in my proximity. But it's also been really, really beautiful and worthwhile. So yeah, we absolutely do need people. And I think constantly being open to the fact that like the the person sitting next to you in a coffee shop can change your life. Like they can be, they can be your best friend. They can be your new partner. They can just be you know, they can just be someone special to you. And I think at the and as I'm, I'm saying this out loud, I think that actual self-care is community. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's, it's so true. And you talked about like, you know, not fully even ditching these, you know, more like superficial fun ways of feeling better, but to just add some civic engagement or even as simple as like, have a book club with your friend or do something where you're in community with others. And that has definitely like made a huge impact in my life. I feel like when I lived in New York, I was the perfect little capitalist girl boss when I worked at Cosmo. I just, my whole life, my whole identity, I, um, you know, my family's from Massachusetts and I uh, went to New York. I, my brother lived out there, but I really felt for the first time very isolated from my friends, loved ones. And um, I just poured all of that energy into work. And it was a very unhealthy way for me to cope with, um, with that isolation. But, and again, trying to fill that hole with like productivity and, um, you know, like work-based achievements. And 
I felt like I had reached my goals and I've never felt worse in my life. And, um, and then I found myself in a really deeply toxic relationship. Like I just kept trying to seek these things that just could only be fulfilled with, you know, once the pandemic hit, I moved back in with family because I, I had, I was living in a studio, um, in Midtown and I just, I knew I could not mentally, emotionally, physically handle that. Uh, and people were getting texts like they're shutting the bridge. Everyone, you know, it was just, it was horrible. I will not redig up that time period. But anyway, I, I moved home and it, um, it really changed like my entire, my entire mentality about, I had always felt like in order to grow up, I need to get out of here. I need to leave these people behind and like succeed on my own. It just that exact trap that you're describing. And when I moved back home and I felt like I could be me again, and and the more that I put healthy boundaries between work and myself and started actually asking myself like, where are my values and where are my people whose values align with that? It was life-changing. Like that was yeah. – that in therapy, that's like my ultimate <laughs> self-care. That like yeah. really – I felt like I rekindled friendships that I had sort of abandoned for this – I don't know what I thought I was doing, this this new life that I thought I was taking on. And it was – it felt so – like you, I could physically feel the warmth like generating back in my body, <clears throat> being with family again being with close friends, being with my community, and then just trying to make new community. I mean, it was definitely like, you know, when you move to a new place, I had found community there, thank God. And I'm still friends with a lot of those um, those women that I worked with because I felt like we were all in this, we were all in it together. But, you know, then moving back to Boston and having old friends, but also trying to make new friends, it's, um, it, it, all of it is better than being back in that place of isolation and where work was central, work was everything. And uh, yeah. <laughs> Something you said that just like absolutely hit home is that we cannot um, work our way into self-love or self-care. Like no matter the amount of hours that we clock in at work, that will not heal us. And I had no regrets about work and I and I've put work ahead of everything in my life for probably 27 years. I have no regrets about that. What I regret is not also making space for things that have absolutely nothing to do with work. And I think for, and what I want to, I think, tell the listeners and, and people in my life is that work can be meaningful. It can be so fulfilling and it's important, but work will not care for you. And so you have to reach for something that cares for you. And for me, that's people. But, and, but also maybe that looks like baking 20 minutes in your day to watercolor or taking a walk. I think you have to let yourself to be cared for and work is just not, work is never, ever going to fill that care need in us. Definitely. I think that's so wild that you said that too about like watercoloring or doing these other sort of like hobbies because like I think this is something that I've rejected I think in the last like two to three years but I used to think even the stuff I did in my free time had to be like productive. stuff that would advance me. Yes. Product productive mm -hmm. would advance me in some way like and uh, obviously we're doing this podcast as something that like is 
we can put on our resumes, but it's also like, it's, it's sort of healing too. It's at the space where we're able to talk to people like you and have amazing conversations. But I feel like outside of the podcast and work too, I'm really trying to figure out like, what can I do? Like, what, <laughs> like, like I, I feel like that's why walking, like going to the gym, like doing stuff like that has been really helpful for me. Yeah. Um, that's, that's wild that you say that because it has been a journey for me the past couple of years. Yeah. And I'm so far from perfect of like figuring out work-life balance. Like, gen- like ask any of my friends and they will tell you that like I do work sometimes like 10, 12 hour days because, you know, I'm, I'm in grad school. I launched a business while I'm in grad school because I'm insane. Uh, I'm also still working full time. I'm writing my second book, like all these things. And for me, the guiding philosophy is that, for as much time as I'm going to dedicate to work, I'm also going to dedicate time to play. Um, and so the one rule I have for myself is like, I will not have a funless day, a single day in my life. Like on God, even if it's like my 24th hour of being awake, I'm going to do something fun. I will not have a single, yes. <laughs> I will not suffer my way through life. And if that means do, spending an hour FaceTiming my friends or sitting in the sun with them, I'm going to do that and so do my work. And honestly, I'm noticing that my energy levels are way, way up now because I do set aside that time for something that's completely has no value whatsoever. Like me sitting in a park with my friends, it will not advance my career. It will not get me ahead in school. It has no value. And there's something so liberating about just letting yourself exist and not have to justify your time as productive or worthy. Do you find the fun things you do always involve community? Usually, but not always. So um, I do watercolor. That's something that I've kind of gone back to. Um, I like to ice skate a lot by myself. Um, I wanted, and sometimes I think fun things for me, it's like I'm smiling and I'm laughing and I want to, and I want to lean into that. So I'm always looking out for things that just bring me actual joy and then actively baking it in my life, not as an afterthought, not as like a, oh, like maybe I'll take a walk outside if I have time for it. Or maybe I'll like go to a pottery class if I've, I'm not tired. Like I will, I will put it in my schedule as I would like a work meeting. That's really great. That's really great. Cause I often find myself trying to like carve out time, but not really like intentionally seeking out those joyful moments and you know it's hard too because like what would you say to somebody who's like well I don't necessarily make time to play but like I'll take time and watch videos on my phone or I'll watch Netflix or like do something like that you know like I'm starting to understand that like while I I love watching movies TV I I do like there that is an art form and even there are certain creators that I follow where I feel like their videos to me are, are wonderful educational art in, in and of themselves. Like I love to forage for mushrooms. So I'm always watching um, Alexis Nicole, the black foragers videos, and I'm just like consuming it like Netflix. But what do you, what are your thoughts on sort of like consuming media? And is that really a form of like self care? Or do you think that that's like sometimes a slippery slope? I think that is such a great question, Patty. Um, you know, as, as an artist and as someone who works on movies, theater, et cetera, et cetera, yeah, I think art can absolutely be healing. And I think we need that. Um, I think it's, 
I will never tell people like, oh, like watching TV is unhealthy for you. Because sometimes you just really just do need to shut your mind off and watch an episode of Scandal. Yeah. I get it. <laughs> but I think in that same vein of art will also not actively care for you. Mm. Like the the TikToks that you watch and the characters that you watch on screen, they're not going to reach through the screen and say, hey, Alex, I'm noticing that you're having a really hard day. Can I bake you something? Can I bring you a coffee? Can I listen to you? Like it's a one-sided relationship. Um, and I think, you know, having that beautiful relationship with art and being moved by art. Yes. That's why I personally feel drawn to what I do, but you still need to have that factor of like, you need to be in a relationship with something that cares for you. Um, if that answers your question. Absolutely. Oh my God. My, (laughs) again, I'm mind blown again. (laughs) (laughs) I like the idea too, of using art to connect with your community, like, and using that sort of entertainment and media to do so. Cause like, I, I mean, I talk about it every episode at this point, but like survivor, like I love that show, (laughs) like different, even love is blind, like these different sort of reality shows and, and non-reality shows. I just started watching, um, Oh my gosh, I'm going to butcher the name. It's like Haunting of Bly Manor, I think. It's like a second in a series, yeah, on Netflix. Yeah. Um, and I started watching it. And like, as I'm watching each of these things, I'm texting my sister about it. And I'm like, oh my God, have you watched this? Or I'm like, oh my God, Survivor this week was so wild, blah, blah, blah. And I feel like that's been a really useful tool when I'm feeling really down and wanting to connect with people, but don't feel like I know what to say, that I can say that. And it's been really helpful for me in my healing journey yeah art art is such a beautiful um and that's why I'm so I get so upset when people cut funding for art because it's such a grounding craft no matter what art form I love theater because it's live and you can like feel their energy right in front of you but yeah I think using art as a great as a tool to connect with people is, is so beautiful I mean I met two of my best friends through a book club um and so yeah I think and to that man, like I love having people over and watching movies with me. And like there are days when your social battery is just strained and you don't want to see another person. I get it. I go through those phases. But I think it's important that we don't isolate ourselves to the point where another person feels like more work. And healing that relationship with that is is hard. But I think actively looking for people who will care for us and also letting them care for us is ultimately the way that we're going to have self-care in the society. Absolutely. Well, we really want to talk with you about love because you sent us something that we found really interesting. You said that you've been having lots of conversations about the idea of capitalistic love where everything feels transactional. So tell us, what do you mean by this? What do you wish people understood by this? I also wish I knew what I meant by that. (laughs) Uh, No, I I think it's something that I think about a lot. on campus, we're reading bell hooks all about love. And I've just been kind of looking into more non-Western ideas of relationships. And I think especially in the Western world, everything is an exchange where it's like, I and, and you guys probably hear this all the time. I give you 50%, I want 50% back. And I was like, but that's just not the way the world works. And so what does it look like if we say, hey, Patty, I only have, to give today, I can only show up and be 30%. And the other person being, and I will give you 70% and meet you there. What does it look like when we're not keeping score of what it means to care for each other? And I think there's this idea of we only do something to get something back. 
that I find really, really harmful and damaging in our friendships, because I want to think that if I help someone, I'm, I'm not expecting anything back. And we have to do things without thinking about ourselves, which is incredibly difficult to do because we are driven by the ego um, as humans. So when I think about capitalistic ideas of love, I just, it's not rooted in, when I think about exchanges, it's not rooted in any real care or community or, you know, anything good. It's just, what can I do for myself? And coming from Los Angeles, that is particularly tricky to navigate coming from the entertainment industry where everything is, this is my number one pet peeve. Well, that's not true. That's one of my many pet peeves about Hollywood is that everything becomes about networking. Everything is about what can I, what can I get for you? What can I help you with this so that you'll help me? And it becomes like, just like we're exchanging resumes and business cards. And I'm just like, do you guys even know each other's middle names? You know what I mean? Like, we are so quick to ask and demand what we want from each other and what we can give ourselves, but we don't get, to, we don't take the time to get to really know each other and ask, what do you need on a human level? And so moving away from capitalism in all areas, but especially relationships of what does it look like to love freely? And what does it look, look like to um, love without expectation? And I think you will find a lot of cynical people who say, well, I'm tired of giving all my heart out and getting nothing back in return. To those people, I want to say, I think you're just looking at it wrong. I think if you are giving yourself away in order to get something back, it will always leave you feeling empty because that's an impossible, like, how do you even measure that, right? So for me, I found that in my relationships where we all just give freely and we don't think about it and we have no agenda other than we care for each other. That is how we, that is the most radical form of self-care and liberation is this moving away from these models that tell us we're supposed to behave and think and care for each other one way. And then saying, actually, I don't like the way that makes me feel. And so I'm going to nurture other people and let myself be nurtured in return. That's so beautiful. Is what I hope I yeah. meant by that. Yeah, absolutely. And that's so beautiful sort of thinking about this idea of, you know, I always like pause when people say unconditional love because I really started to think like, can love truly be unconditional? There's always conditions. Um, you know, like it, if even if someone who you've grown to trust or you're, um, mm -hmm. again, like thinking about chosen family versus um, not chosen family and how the ways in which our not chosen family can really disappoint us and sort of take advantage of this notion of, well, you know, we're, we're family. So we, you know, mm -hmm. I love you unconditionally, but then like acts in many ways that go against that idea. It, it's, it can be very confusing growing up and understanding what does love look like to me and what does it feel like and what do I want to get from love. And that doesn't necessarily mean, again, like romantic partnerships um, mm -hmm. or romantic relationships as a whole. It, it can be in friendships. It can be within your family. It can be, um, you know, it can look, it could be come up in so many different ways. And I think when I'm now like trying to be very intentional about, um, Within my family, we've done a lot of work uh, in sort of analyzing like 
And this is huge because coming from an Italian family, yes, we are stereotypically loud in each other's face, do not have boundaries, talk about our feelings. We're like, I don't know if you guys watched Sex Education, but <laughs> like there's this scene where like one of the boys talks about like families who are just too close and share everything. He calls them naked families, which we weren't like that. Like we didn't walk around our house naked, but like this idea of like, you know, and, and I feel very blessed to come from a place like that. But part of the problem was we would find that there were a lot of old ways of um, justifying bad behavior and covering it up with like, well, you know, we love each other unconditionally. So we can say something hurtful, but we don't really mean it. And I was like, no, no, we can't say something hurtful. If you love me unconditionally, you wouldn't say something like that to me because you wouldn't you wouldn't want me to feel that way because I would never say that to you because I would never want to make you feel that way. And sometimes I was the perpetrator. Sometimes I'd just say something so hurtful and didn't mean it, but I knew I could get away with it because I, you know, have this like established love with this person. And so this idea of like taking for granted, you know, what I, I think that like love is a practice. It's an action. It's not a feeling. And that, I did not make that up. I heard that from somewhere. And frankly, I don't remember where, because I've heard it from so many places. Well, <laughs> well, there you go. And so it's like, love. yes. Yep. And, and, and that's become so central. It, it was a big theme within my family. And, and I'm so glad because we had to really push to have these difficult conversations and really um, explore our feelings and work on generational trauma to get to this place. But now I'm thinking about it in terms of romantic love. And um, I feel very, and I keep asking my friends who are partnered up, this is a new thing I've, for some reason, I think I asked you this, Alex, or maybe I didn't. Well, because I know I, I'm, I've asked multiple people, I'm like, when did you know you loved this person? Like I have had a lot of friends who got married this year. I'm like, when did what when did you know you actually loved this person and wanted to like spend the rest of your life with them? And it's funny, I get all these different answers like, oh, it was a month, which was like, whoa, that's amazing. And then for other people, it was like, oh, you know, it was like after the first year, it was after we moved in together, or whatever the answers were. But I'm trying to understand like when will I feel that and what does that mean to me? And I don't know. And it's really scary. But it's like even the act of trying to figure that out is like is radical. Trying to really define love for yourself and finding that elsewhere. It's I'm not like doing a great job at it, but I'm trying. <laughs> You're doing your best and we're all doing our best. And something that you said, which is about the family situation, the family dynamic is that and Bell Hooks actually says this so much better than than I can because she talks about her dysfunctional family dynamics of like, you can have love, but it's not going to feel good unless you have care too. Mm. And so that's what I, you know, a lot of my friends who find themselves in bad relationships or watching bad, like co-working relationships, like all these relationships where hurt comes. And I truly think 80% of hurt can be avoided if we were just more careful with each other. Mm -hmm. If we were just like, you know, conflict is unavoidable, but you can work through conflict with care. You can actively show up for someone and recognize when you're not making someone feel good and when someone isn't making you feel good and to actually act on that. Cause you said, yeah, love is, it's not just a feeling. It's also a practice and it's also, it has to be acted upon. And I think when it, the ways that you act upon love is just being careful. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, what's funny when you were both 
uh, kind of talking about this love concept a second ago, like Patty, you went to that sort of familial, unconditional love. And I was kind of going the other way with like friendships and, and the love that's there and almost feeling like I, I don't know, like, I don't want to feel this way, but I get worried about it being conditional, like different friendships. And I think about this went viral, like three years ago, I think, I think it was like 2020 or maybe 2019. But that person that was like a therapist, I think they were and they were like, Oh, I don't have the capacity (laughs) to like talk with you right now. Please reach out at insert later date. And I'm just like, I think there's been a weird shift too with like therapy speak becoming more like commonplace where we sort of think that, I don't know, like boundary setting obviously is really important, but it's like boundaries shouldn't like hurt someone else's feeling. Like, you know what? I, I don't even know how to like articulate how bad that <laughs> like person's no, message was, was, but I feel like so it's bad. made me like nervous to like talk with friends about things sometimes. Yeah. The HRification of relationship is actually really, really bleak. And, and I, and I think we confuse setting boundaries versus I'm the only person that matters. So I'm going to act like I'm the only person who has feelings mm-hmm. because a boundary is something that exists in a relationship. A boundary is saying, I'm going to show you what I need so that you can care for me. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that is like a matter of like, Patty, like, I'm like really overwhelmed right now and I can't talk to you on the phone. Can I call you back at like another time when I'm in a better headspace? Like that is setting a boundary. Setting a boundary is not, I'm never going to talk to you again. Mm-hmm. Or it's it's also not an ultimatum. And I think people, we have a really, and this needs to be your podcast episode next when you get someone who's a much more better expert than this. But like, what is our relationship with boundaries? Yes. Oh, trust me. There is... Um... There is an expert in this. She wrote a fantastic book. Um, she's, a, I believe, a psychologist. I don't want to get this wrong. Psychologist or psychiatrist. I know there's a huge difference, but her name is Nedra Glover Tawab, and she wrote this book. I know her. Yeah. I interviewed her. Oh, <laughs> you did. She's amazing. She's like dreaming. Yes. She, yes. Her <laughs> book on boundaries was amazing, and I constantly kind of reread it because it, it's, it's – um, it's like digestible enough where you can just keep going back to it almost as a manual. But yes, yeah, speaking that into existence, she's amazing. The book on boundaries changed my life because I always thought about boundaries as like, I don't know, like brick walls that, you know, it was more about the no and the, more about the like, what you can't do when it's really, like you said, it's more about care. It's more about this like ebb and flow of, you know, or not ebb and flow. It is about being, you know, not too rigid, but it's, it's about this, like, it's a dialogue that you have with people to make sure that both of your needs are being met and that will change. It's not something that's rigid forever. And, Mm -hmm. um, and that can be, you know, I, before we were, you got on this, um, this episode, I was listening to, um, the Ezra Klein show did uh, an episode on self-care um, and they had the psychiatrist on called, uh, her name was um, Pooja Lash- Lakshmin. And she talked about how she developed this like four-part framework for self-care. Because her whole thing was like, you really need to look inward. Um, and there are like these four things that you can sort of do to, you know, improve or actually um like 
participate and practice self-care and not just like buying the Mm -hmm. face masks. And it was um, setting boundaries, practicing self-compassion, aligning your values, and exercising power. And the setting boundaries piece is first, and it's like the – I think one of the biggest things – it's also one of the most difficult things. It's like because you have to do it, again, like in community with others, and you have to like consider your own feelings – Also have to consider the other person's feelings. It is being a human is hard and it's complex, but it is like setting boundaries is her point was such a critical part of self care. Yeah, and yeah, it's true, and it's uh, we all got to do better on like learning about boundaries and like how to set them. I'm bad at it. I I've read the book like three times and I'm still working on it, but it has changed like. And we'll link the book too in the in the show notes because it's awesome. I can't believe we got to interview her. We'll talk about that after. That's amazing. Yeah, please. She's she's fantastic. Oh my God. Uh, like one of the boundaries that I have with the people I love is no yelling. Like the second, like again, conflict is natural. People argue that is natural, but the minute it turns into like a screaming match, I'm tapping out and I'm letting the people in my life know, like, I can't, I can't live, laugh life under these conditions. If you're yelling at me, like, this is not going to be productive. And I find that letting people know how you want to be cared for and making it about you and not them. Like, I'm not going to tell them like, you're like, you're an asshole for yelling at me. I'm just going to tell them I'm having a hard time operating when someone is raising their voice at me and finding like ways to just communicate. And I think communication is really, really difficult for human beings. I love that. I know thinking of like bad boundaries. Now I'm thinking about the Jonah Hill situation with his, uh, I think ex uh, girlfriend where he was like, my boundary is that you don't post swimsuit photos, even though she literally is a surfer. But (laughs) I I think about that because I think a lot of people, online we're like oh those are his boundaries those are his boundaries like it needs to be respected but it's like can't she have a boundary she wants to post a fucking swimsuit photo like i don't understand it's a conversation that involves one potentially more than one it involves other people and i think people forget the other people aspect of setting boundaries totally definitely yeah my gosh this has been such an incredible conversation, literally about self-care, love. I hope y'all have your notepads out listening to this. Took plenty of notes because this is incredible. Is there anything that you would like to promote on here? I want I want to promote, I hope people take time to self-care, truly. And, and I don't mean that in just like, obviously, I don't mean that in a superficial way, but asking yourself, what is it that makes you feel cared for? And then going out and finding it. I know for me, self-caring is that I just need to laugh with a friend when I'm having a really hard time. Like I need to be able to laugh. And so I will go to my friends who are hilarious bitches. Yes. That is so beautiful. (laughs) I love that. And where can people find your work, find your writing group, anything that uh, you want to share? Everything is on my website, which I trust you guys to link. You can find my literary salon through there. You can find essays that I've written for publications like Elle, New York Magazine, Cosmo. Um, You can find me on social media very sparingly, but I am on social media. And honestly, I really just appreciate a good email. I love it when people take time out of their day to just email me their thoughts. I love that. Thank you so much for joining us, Sarah. This was 
I, I'm going to need to just sit here in silence for like a half hour to digest everything. But I so appreciate you are so thoughtful and, and so sincere and um, extremely insightful. I am like, I think we need more people like you in this world. So I hope a lot of people You're listen to this. I wish I could sit in silence. I'm going to, I have to go to class to learn oh. about war and religion. So. Harvard. No. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's crazy that I came to Harvard to get a degree and they're actually making me study. <laughs> so rude. Like, I don't know who they think they are, but it's also Harvard, you're welcome for the free press. Yes. It's a great program. True. Yes, I know. Free advertisement for Harvard here. <laughs> Harvard. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you all for joining us for another episode of The Relationship Type. If you like this episode, you can follow us on Spotify, follow us where you listen to podcasts, follow us on Instagram at The Relationship Type, and leave us a review. Our editing is done by Dylan Simon. Our design is by John Francis. Our music comes from purple-planet.com. The Relationship Type is created by me, Alex Piscatelli, and my co-host, Patty Camerata. Thanks for tuning in. We'll gab with you next time.